All right, open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James 1, if you don't have a traditional Bible but you'd like to, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Or you can take your smart device and you can open up the version or the Bible app and all the notes and all the scriptures are already right there. If you're watching us live on our online campus or at one of our many services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, love you guys and so glad that you're a part of Life Church and so glad that you guys here on this side of the screen are part of Life Church. So grateful that you take this like beautiful end of the summer kind of winding down greatest weather on the face of the earth right now time and you would put yourself inside when you could very easily be on a boat with a phone and you could be attending the campus in the same way so kudos to you for being here would you clap for yourselves for being awesome today <laughs> so James the brother of Jesus the book of James is probably the most practical book in the entire Bible, it's filled with everyday principles, things from taming your tongue and drawing close to God to just simply having more faith. It has concepts like understanding eternity, understanding wealth, how to not show favoritism, how to treat widows and orphans, how to be a doer of the word rather than just a hearer of the word. Some people, theologians, that's people who study the Bible for a living, theologians have often called James the Proverbs of the New Testament. Proverbs is entitled The Book of Wisdom. It's because James is filled with everyday wisdom. And so we're gonna take close to two months to study a little book that you can read in less than 15 minutes. And by doing that, we believe it's gonna grow us up a little bit because this book is really hard hitting. As the title reveals, the book of James was written by one of Jesus' earthly brothers, which which just that comment right there may be soul jolting for some of you because of some of the things that you were taught about Jesus' mother. But the Bible tells us that after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had other kids. And one of those other kids was a young man named James who would go on and be the great pastor of, of the church in the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. And, and James wasn't a believer in or a follower of Jesus while Jesus was alive. He didn't actually follow Jesus while they were at home living together. I mean, can you imagine how hard it would be to convince one of your siblings that you are actually God? You're like, yeah, bro, shut up, I'm God, best potatoes, right? You know, it's just like, First Corinthians, though, tells us that James was converted after Jesus' resurrection. And I love how when writing this book, he dives right into it. In the first verse, he kind of says, hello. Then in the second verse, he dive bombs into two topics that I want to talk about today. Those topics are trials and temptations. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. God, thank you that you are the mender of broken hearts. You are the healer of broken minds. I pray today in this place that both of those things would be changed, our hearts and our minds, that as your word is spoken, your word would be received and that your word would grow, that it would take root, that we would leave this place less like us and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Trials and temptations. Pretty much every one of us are in a trial of some sort and we all constantly 
face temptations. I mean, now we never do this. There's a couple of things we almost never do in here. Like we almost never say, look at your neighbor and say, because it's awkward. And we almost never have people just like randomly raise their hands over things that kind of reveal them. Or if we do, we kind of have people close their eyes and we don't want people to see who's raising their hands. We don't want people to see who is just as damaged as them. But today we're going to do something with every head up and every eye open with every person being able to see just how toe up or jacked up we are. So this morning... If you're here and you would be totally honest and, and you would be willing to say that you are in the middle of some sort of trial in your life right now, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Just look around. There's a lot of jacked up people just like you. <laughs> this is an everyday issue and an every one issue. So he says, James, a servant of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, Greetings. In other words, hello. Then he just jumps right into something that 99% of us don't live out. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And so right off the bat, he confronts this issue that every one of us are going through. Every one of us are dealing with trials. Now, trials are different than temptations. Trials are things that happen in our lives that have the possibility, that have the potential to either teach us something or the possibility, the potential to grow us up. And it's important that you get this. God does not tempt you, but he will allow you to go through trials in your life. And those trials are designed for your faith to be tested because God sees the value that's rooted in that test. He sees the value that's rooted in those trials. And you're the same way. We all are, particularly if you're a parent. If you are a parent, sometimes you have to allow your kids to go through some stuff just to produce something better in their lives. And sometimes you've got to stop coddling your kids and start allowing your kids to be confronted with things in their life. Like, like dad, can I skip school today? No. Why? Because I have a hope that someday you're going to graduate. Someday you're going to get a job. And someday you're going to pay your own bills. And so I've got I've to let you go through some things. And so as a parent, sometimes we allow our kids to be tested. You cannot go through school without taking some tests. Because nothing will ever be trusted until it's tested. Tests reveal something. They reveal whether or not you need to redo the material or if you need to move on to the next grade, if you have the ability to move on to the next level. And because of God's interest in seeing you move from this level to the next level, he is willing to let you be tested because God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. God is more interested in your holiness than he is in your happiness. You'll be very hard-pressed to find scripture in this book that talk about God wanting to make you happy. God wants you to grow. Look at this verse in the Proverbs, the book of wisdom. It says, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord he tests the heart. So God will allow you to go through some tests so that the impurities will rise to the top. And they rise to the top so they can more easily be skimmed away. But how does that happen? Well, James tells us. So I want to go a little bit line by line. Now, let me just give you forewarning. There is a lot of content in this series. You can't take almost two months 
to go through a book that's like this thick without it being very content rich. And so there's gonna be a lot for you to hear today. There's gonna be a lot for you to listen to. There's gonna be a lot for you to digest. There's gonna be a lot for you to process. And it's gonna be like that every week. This is one of those really rich series. So you may have to go back and rewatch it throughout the week, go on Monday Night Live. You, you may have to bring a pen and a paper, and you may have to take some notes, because we're going to try to go as much line by line as we can. And today, we're going to be talking about two things. We're going to be talking about trials, and we're going to be talking about temptations. First, let's talk about trials. And I want to give you four things to do in the middle of a trial. Here's the first recognize what's really going on. Not everything that you see in the physical is what's actually going on in the spiritual. And one of the tragedies of a trial is that sometimes the problem hijacks the learning process. What happens is that you don't see the potential because you're distracted by the problem. And we have to realize the reality that sometimes tucked in that experience of financial despair or an impossible neighbor of an unrealistic spouse or a rebellious child is a whole different lesson that is happening tucked inside the middle of our trial. Look at verse 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Underline that word if you have a traditional Bible, that word perseverance. Let me say it this way. Every test and every trial is an attempt to develop one key characteristic inside of you. Perseverance. Perseverance means patient endurance. It's the ability to go through some stuff and not react the way you want to react, to not react the way that you would normally react. In other words, to go through some stuff and not freak out. And some of you are trying to run from the very school of character that God has given you as a gift. Family, for example, is the greatest school of character you can ever be given. If you have siblings you know that they will stretch your faith. And if you can learn to live with them and keep your patience, to live with them and not yell and scream and kick the dog and cuss somebody out, you're going to see evidence of the development of your character. And God is trying to develop something inside of us. Which brings us to the second step, is we need to cooperate with God's growth process. God's gonna grow you whether you like it or not because he's a good teacher. He's a good dad. He's gonna get you out the bed in the morning. He's not gonna let you cut corners because God's not just your heavenly Santa. God is not just here to bless you. He will bless you, but that's not his sole existence. And the reason for that is because he loves you, which is like, it's why sometimes God has to kick you into gear. It's why in the next verse we hear perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. I wonder if you've ever prayed a prayer something like this. God, I want that you would give me everything that you have for me, which generally means, God, I want you to bless me, or God, I want you to hook me up, or God, I want you to like give me more stuff. That's usually what that prayer means. God, I want you to give me everything that you have for me. And you pray that, and God's like, oh, really? <laughs> All right. Hold up. Here you go, homie. Be careful what you ask for, because truthfully, some of the trials that you have in your life 
are answers to prayers that you've prayed in your life. You prayed for it, and you didn't even know it. And when you prayed it, God said, cool, here's the path. And sometimes the path involves pain. And I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you this. I wish that every message could be touchy-feely. I wish that every message could have rainbow dust sprinkled on it. I wish that every message you could leave and it could just be happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. But sometimes it's not. Like it can't be just a steady dose of we're gonna be happy and we're gonna just walk out and get to smile. Yay! I wish it could be. The problem is that we're gonna talk about the Bible. And there's a lot of scriptures in this book that talk about the value of suffering. Let me show you a couple. Romans chapter five, for instance, it says not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And a lot of times people don't wanna think about this, but it's truth and we need to hear this stuff sometimes, that sometimes there's going to be a struggle. Look at what it says in 1 Peter. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you might have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor where Jesus is revealed. And so God is trying to do something inside of us, and we need to cooperate with the process. The best things in my life come out of the darkest moments of my life. Like, like Pastor Sonny and I, we legitimately have a great marriage. Like we legitimately are as cute as we look. We legitimately act that way in private. We are not putting anything on for public display. But the reason why we have an amazing marriage now is because we used to have a terrible marriage back in the day. We used to just be terrible people and, and we went through this really dark time, and my amazing marriage is a result of one of the darkest moments of my life. I have an amazing relationship with my kids. We talk about everything. Our, we're not perfect, but it is a result of the darkest moments of my life. The whole atmosphere of what you feel when you come inside of this church is a result of the darkest moments of my life. A moment eons ago where I was a wreck where Sonny was getting ready to file for divorce. I was about to lose my kids. I was losing my mind and was borderline suicidal. It was the darkest time of my life, but God. And those are two words that some of you, if you're into tattoos, tattoo that somewhere where you can see it. Tattoo it on the annals of your heart. Write it somewhere. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your car. But God, your marriage is suffering. But God, your finances are a wreck. But God, you got a wrong diagnosis. But God, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But God. And God didn't put me in the darkness. Let's be frank. I put myself in the darkness, but he allowed me to experience the darkness so that I would seek the Lord, so that I would seek the light. The greatest hope of my life was forged in the greatest hurt of my life. And God wants to test you. He wants to take your test and turn it to your testimony. Here's the third thing that we need to do to make it through trials is ask God for help. And I know that that seems like super 
obvious, but it is mind-boggling to me how long it takes most of us to actually turn to God. Now, we'll try everything else before we go to him. We'll take tarot cards, and we'll take crystals, and we'll rub them, and we'll repeat prayers that we don't mean or that we don't understand, or we'll go to people who we think will have. They're like, we'll try everything else before we go to him. But James says, if you're going through a hard time, it's as simple as this. Talk to God. I mean, he even tells you what to talk to him about. Verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, in other words, if you don't know what to do, just ask God. He gives generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to them. Circle that word wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to apply what you already know, which means here's the prayer that you ought to pray. Most of us already admitted that we're in the middle of a trial, so don't pray this. Don't pray, God, get me out of it. Instead, pray, Lord, what are you teaching me? Lord, what should I be learning right now? Then, hush. Be quiet. My pastor used to say, Christians spend so much time talking in their prayers that they spend no time listening. And we wonder why God doesn't speak to us. And God is a gentleman. He's just waiting his turn. If when you pray, all you do is talk, when is the last time you sat in silence? He said, be still and know that I'm God. Pray for wisdom. Ask what you should be learning. Then listen. And by doing that, you can actually speed up the process of the trial, which will help us with the next step, which is keep a good attitude. <laughs> which is easy to say until you're in a trial <laughs> you go <laughs> you ever have to wait on some stuff and you, you get so mad you get so impatient you're like for real it's been like it's been 12 hours I've, I've prayed about it God it's, I just prayed last night and still sick just prayed about it they haven't been healed yet prayed about it I haven't got a job yet and God's like will you slow your roll for two seconds like, like hang on a minute I'm, I could do it right now but if I do it right now you won't enjoy the journey there's a journey that has to be a part of it. And it is so easy for us to just be the, mm, mm. so many people, this is them. How you doing? Well, waiting on God, but you know, other than that, could, could you just be nice? Just take that frown and turn it upside down. It's the choice you get to make. It's so interesting what James says next. He says, when you ask, believe. Don't doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's a great verse right there. If you didn't just hear what I said. He said, when you pray, don't doubt. Why are you praying if you're doubting? Why are we having the conversation if you're doubting? Why, why are you fronting about it? You're not actually praying at this point. You're just placating. You're just complaining. Like, Pray and then believe that God is big enough to solve whatever it is you have. Because a person who prays without belief, Scripture says, is a double-minded person. And they're unstable in all they do. Faith and attitude go hand in hand. 
I might not know how I'm gonna do something, but I'm gonna do it. I may not know how I'm gonna make it, but by God's grace, I'm gonna make it. I may not know how I'm gonna change something, but by faith, I am going to change it. You've been angry all your life, but by faith, you are going to have joy. You've had a bad marriage for so long, but by faith, you are gonna declare that you love her, that you are gonna serve her, like you're gonna sign up through marriage coaching. You've been broke for so long, but by faith, you're going to get out of debt and you're going to walk in favor because blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Trials, we all have them. So James, he gives us this little list, these practical steps to surviving them. Then in the next breath, he says, now let's talk about temptations because <laughs> temptations are different than trials. And just as you got the resolve to be able to embrace your trials, the enemy will come along and he will try to throw you off course with a temptation. And a temptation is like a fishing lure. It looks great, it's shiny, it's sparkly, but it only has one purpose, to pull you away from God. And it looks different for everybody. For some it's alcohol, for some it's finances, for some it might be sex, for some it might be chocolate cake. Whatever is yours, that particular thing is designed to do one thing, bring conflict and condemnation to create separation between you and God. So James gives us four steps to beating temptation. Here's the first. Number one, recognize the source of it. Let's be clear. The devil does not make you do it. He just gives you the opportunity to. He just makes it look so good. That's his job. The devil's job is to take ugly things and make them look beautiful. Like that's something that is so deceiving. But look what James says in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt. Anyway, but notice it doesn't say if you're tempted. It says when you're tempted. We all have an area. And the devil is constantly looking for yours. And he's constantly looking for the area that he can tempt you in so he can customize the temptation just for you. Which brings me to the second step to beating temptation is understand the process of temptation. In the next two verses, James actually gives us five stages of temptation. So let me read the verse, then I'm going to like rifle off those five things. James 1, 14 and 15. It says, but each of us, we are tempted when by our own evil desire, we are dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Here's the stages. Write them down if you have a pen because they'll expose the devil's plan for your life. Here's the first. The first stage of temptation is temptation. <laughs> you will never get away from this one. This, you cannot avoid this one. Even Jesus had to endure this one. But left unchecked, temptation can easily go to the next level, which is fantasy. And fantasy is where we entertain it, where we consider what it would be like if. What would it be like if I ate it, drank it, smoked it, watched it, slept with it? But Proverbs 23 says, what a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Fantasy. It's the second step in the stage of temptation. Here's the third, moving toward sin. 
Temptation, fantasy, moving towards it. You may not have sinned yet, but you're getting close. You, you started stepping that way. You saw her, temptation. You thought about her, fantasy. Now you talked to her. You established a rapport. You're taking steps. Even though scripture tells us to flee from sexual immorality, even though it says to flee from youthful lusts, and some of you have taken steps towards sin, you're so close. You know it's wrong, but if loving her is wrong, you don't want to be right. Who have you smelled her, Pastor? She smells so good. She smells like lavender and honey. You better run. Because the fourth, the fourth step in the stages of temptation is the act of sin. And this is where you take the bite. This is where the poison gets in, where the guilt comes in. And for too many people, this is the point of no return. Some people never recover from this step because can we be honest? Can we just stop lying in church for a minute? Sin to your flesh feels so good. If it didn't feel good, it wouldn't be tempting. How many people have you heard are tempted by a Twinkie? You ain't never heard nobody tempted by some celery. <laughs> nobody not never woke up in the middle of the night and said, ooh, you know what I could go for? Nobody ever hid in the kitchen and ate celery. You know what I'm talking about? Nobody ever hides celery in the console of their truck. Nobody has a secret stash of celery inside their nightstand next to their bed. Not that I have any of this stuff. I'm just saying nobody hides. Nobody's tempted by celery. Like the sin is designed to feel good to your flesh. That's why it's tempting. But living in that state for a prolonged period of time results in the fifth step. And that is death. James says sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. The Proverbs say there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And for some, it's actually physical death. You couldn't kick the habit. For others, it's relational death, emotional death, financial death, spiritual death. But it doesn't have to destroy you. My pastor used to say failure is never final. Scripture says for the righteous fall seven times, but yet they rise up again. You might have come in here today and you are right in the process of sin. And if that's you, Scripture says God sympathizes with your weakness. He understands. This book says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't sin. He didn't give in. And y'all, you don't have to either. We avoid sinning when we learn to magnify the consequences of sin. What if you made a list of things that would happen to you if you gave in and then you walked that path in your mind? Like what if before you, you performed the sin, you performed the checklist of things that would happen? Because when you magnify the consequences of sin, it'll minimize the temptation to sin. God will help you and it'll help you with the third step to beating temptation, which is learn how to overcome it. James goes on and he says, don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift that comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like some shifting shadows. There is a way out. Here's some good news. God has obligated himself to getting you out of your mess. And he does that in two ways. First, he'll never let you be tempted more than you can handle. Second, he'll always give you a way of escape because he's a good God. Let me show it to you in scripture. First Corinthians says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Just, just for fun, let me give you uh, three practical ways to overcome temptation. Number one, avoid it. If you have a problem with alcohol, don't go to bars. If you have a problem with anger, don't watch violent movies or play violent games. If you have a food problem, can't stop overeating, stop buying Oreos. Nobody ever got fat eating baby carrots is all I'm saying. If you have a problem with pornography, put your computer in the kitchen where everybody can see it. If you live alone, throw your computer away. Go to the library to get your internet. You say, well, that's inconvenient. And I go, yeah, so is hell. Avoid it. Number two, counter temptation with God's word. Memorize some scripture. This is how Jesus defeated temptation. If it's good enough for him, it's probably good enough for us. Number three, develop some healthy relationships. You have to have somebody in your life who knows everything that you're going through. It's why we have life groups. We have life groups so we can surround ourselves with other Jesus people who will love us, who we can trust. Because the question isn't if we have temptations. The question is if temptations have us. So we need to have some people who we can overcome temptation with together. Here's the fourth step to beating temptation. is fall in love with Jesus. Chap chapter 1 verse 18 says, He chose to give birth, that's salvation, by giving us his true word, that's Jesus. And we, out of all creation became his prized possession. Don't just try to fight sin. Try to fall in love with Jesus because the more you're interested in Jesus, the less you'll be interested in sin. John 14 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Obedience is a byproduct of love. Temptation isn't a test of your self-control. Temptation is a test of your relationship with Jesus. Temptation is a test of your love for him. You are his prized possession. You are the apple of his eye. He loves you. Do you love him? Would you close your eyes all across this place? Do you love him? Salvation, which is a churchy word, at its core comes from this acknowledgement that we love him. We love him more than we love sin, more than we love ourselves. At, at some point in every person's life, you get to a point where you realize you cannot win in life by yourself. You've tried. It hasn't worked. For some of you, you've had this gnawing, this drawing. You haven't understood what it was, but this morning you came in here and you went, that's what it is. I need Jesus. And so in the church, we talk about this idea of salvation, say that to receive that, you have to receive God, Jesus, as your personal Lord and Savior. And those are all such churchy words, but what that means is that when somebody becomes your Lord, they become the one who rules. They're in charge. They, they are the ones that determine the agenda for your life. And when we talk about salvation, that, that, that your Savior, that means that he'll be your rescuer. He rescues you from what you're in. So I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. He isn't the Lord and Savior of my life. This morning, we're going to give you the opportunity 
to do that. And here's how, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask for people who haven't done that but want to do that to do two things. First is to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down and then I'm gonna ask everyone in here to repeat the same prayer after me. And I'm not gonna ask people to stand or, or walk an aisle. I'm not gonna center people out. But if you're here and you say, Sean, I wanna receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand right now in this place? Thanks, thank you, thank you, thank you, thanks, 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 thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here, say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life, change me, make me different, make me new, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. If you prayed that prayer, would you do me one favor? Take the hello card that we talked about earlier, tear off the bottom part, fill in whatever information you're okay with us having. Check the box that's highlighted in yellow that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus, and then either put it in the black buckets when they come around, take it out to the Welcome Center. I just want the chance to be able to pray for you, to be able to follow up with you. Also at the Welcome Center, if you're here on this side of the screen, we have a packet that it says, what now, across the front. And inside that packet, there's a three-month devotional, which has daily scripture and some scriptural thoughts for your life. They're beautiful. You need to have one of those. And then there's a CD that's the What Now CD, which is a 12-minute presentation that I make to help you go from the point that you're at to the point that Jesus wants you to be at. So I would love it if you would have one of those. Also, if you're here today and you've never taken part in baptism, water baptism as an adult, scripturally, it's the next step. You get saved, you get baptized. And so if you've never been baptized in water as an adult, we're gonna do that next week. And so we would love for you to do that. Just sign up at the Welcome Center. And as an extra special bonus, we are going to have food trucks there in Jesus' name. So anyway, if you wanna, yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna get baptized, that's the thing. And I ask you to close your eyes one more time. I got, I have two more little questions before Pastor Sonny comes to close this out. But I wonder if you're here, and we talked about it, that you'd say, Sean, I am in a trial, but I would love it if you'd pray for me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray for you today. Thank you, God, for my friends who are in this place. I pray that you'd give them strength and persistence and perseverance to overcome the trial, but to learn in the midst of their struggle, what it is they're supposed to be and who it is that they're supposed to be in your name. Amen. Lastly, I wonder if you're here and you'd say, Sean, I, it's not just so much a trial, but I'm in the middle of a temptation. There's something that has overcome me or is overcoming me, and I want you to pray for me to have strength. If that's you and you're in the middle of a temptation, would you just raise your hand with nobody looking around? Yes, so many people. Jesus, for my friends in this place who are so tempted, God, I pray that you'd give them supernatural strength to be overcomers. You said by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So build that in Jesus' name. Amen.